Welcome to Women Read Scripture, Come Follow Me, New Testament. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Annette Lantos Tilleman Dick. And I'm Christine Thackeray. It's wonderful us to be together again. And today we're talking about John chapters 2 through 4. And I have to admit, this is a pretty exciting two chapters in terms of John. We start with miracles. We're going to see all kinds of physical miracles, but also spiritual miracles during these chapters as we talk about them. I know, Christine, you're going to talk with the physical miracle of the water to wine. Right. So we're going to start in John chapter 2, and um, actually just starts right at the beginning with the very first verse. And i got to read it because there's so many little pieces that if you don't read it, you miss them. So, and the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And it's really important his disciples were there too, because you're going to see later why. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. So they ran out. And Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come which sounds like a son being kind of snarky to his mother. So She's like, <laughs> yeah. In the, in, the Jew, in the Jewish New Testament, they always say that he said mother, not woman. And I, I haven't gone back into the That's thing. Nice. That's nice. And that, that it makes, it was hard for them to even imagine. Right. That but it yeah. may have been a, a woman like out of respect. Right. Like madam, you like know, madam. that it, but... But we see in the Joseph Smith translation there at the bottom, it wasn't more like, why are you asking me? It says, woman, what will thou have me to do for thee? That will I do, for mine hour has not yet come. So understanding I can't do something for everyone. I can't like magically fill everyone's cups. For you. Right, for you, I I will do do whatever you want me to do. And what a different answer. doesn't the whole thing make more sense? Because then Mary starts ordering people around and telling them what to do. Right. I mean, that, I love it. I love it so so much. And then his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he say, you do it. Right. So just obey whatever he says. And um, there was uh, six, I'm just going to tell you this part. So there were six different pot, big you know, pots that were ready. And he told them to fill them with water. And um, they drew the water out and then they just bear it under the governor, just serve it. So that he doesn't even do anything. He doesn't pray over it. And they did exactly what he said. So they're just serving water. And then it says, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew... Right. which is so cool, and it's in parentheses. I love that. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. So this is the best wine of all. And this was the beginning of miracles um, Jesus did in Canaan. And then at the end it says, And, manis- and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed, believed on him. him. Wow. So see, the disciples were there, and then at the very end, they increased their faith. This is so helpful, because I will say, I always get stuck on that woman. Why would he talk to his mother? <laughs> and, but when I read it in, these, in the other translations, I right. that makes much more sense, mother. But why didn't I look at the footnote? I did not. Right, right. It's easy to Mea miss culpa. it. But, 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 woman, what wilt thou have me to do for thee? That that I will do, for right. mine hour is not yet come. Which is such a more loving reply. And then, I mean, oh, something more. when it makes sense to and me he emotionally, loved his mother. Yes, I mean, you can see that in that response. And his mother knew him, and his mother then just says, "Do whatever he says." His mother saith unto the servants, "Whatsoever he saith unto thee, do, do it." it. Do I, it. I, I, you probably have kids like that. You probably do. <laughs> I do. Where. Just do what he says. He knows what he's doing. I have I have kids like that. That I know. You just do what he says. And what and he did didn't, you know. didn't make sense. He didn't. Sure. You know, with so many of the other miracles, you would see the moment. 
But this like one this is just straw the water and under, serve it. It was right. under the table, as it were, because yes. his time had not yet. His come. time his had not come. His mom wanted but him they to do knew. it. They knew. I love that. But That's I love so moving. It is. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and it's different and, than what you'd normally think if you don't look at those corners. And then you know, in twelve, are you going to talk about verse twelve? Because I love what happens then. Well, I'm not quite there because oh, okay. I was going to talk before then. If you want to go on. No. Okay. Um, I was going to talk about how this first miracle really sets the pattern for all the miracles of Christ. And this is the pattern that I see. The number one is you have a true need. And it's not a need that could be fulfilled by your own ability. Okay. It's a real need. And the second thing is you've done all in your power to try and fill it. And at that point, she had used up all the wine, probably pushed herself to the edge and didn't fill it. And then she asks. And so you have to ask for that miracle to happen. And, um, and then finally, the Lord requires something of you. And so in this case, she told the servants, go do it. And the servants had to actually fill, have the faith to fill those huge jugs and serve when they're serving plain water and could get in big trouble for it. Mary Mother must have had a lot of stature. Right. You know, she must have had a certain amount of stature that she's at a party and she tells them, do whatever right. he wants well, to do, and they do right. it. And then the last one is that you allow the miracle to heal your heart, not just to be external. And that's where, although the ruler of the feast didn't even know what happened, right. didn't even realize that miracle happened. And how many times people are like, oh, it was a coincidence. It wasn't really that big a deal. Versus the disciples who believed on him the and increased right. their faith. And we see over and over again through the future how so many people don't capture that last part of the miracle. Yeah. They don't let it truly change them. Well, you know, there needs to be some preparation, you know, in well, and sometimes to really feel right. it. You know, I, I, I couldn't help but think of a, a miracle that we experienced when Charity was in, it was after her first transplant. You know, my daughter Charity who had a bilateral lung transplant and the doctors did not think she'd live after the transplant. The doctor told me, I'm sorry. It was too late, but through many wonderful, I think, miraculous blessings and things that were shared, we were convinced she would make it. And at one point, though, during this healing process, which was slow and laborious, she just, her kidneys were not working. And um, I desperately sought to get some, some, have someone come in and give her a blessing, and she had an amazing blessing. I was there day and night thinking about wow. all these things. And in the blessing, it said that she, her kidneys, which were not working, that they would be working beautifully and that she would be able to, ne- she would not need dialysis. And the, the, the renologist had come and said, well, you know, even if she does get better, she probably will need to come in for dialysis. Mm-hmm. A week after this blessing... She was off of the dialysis. So she was, was off of the whole. It was it was a certifiable wow. miracle, and in the blessing it had said that the doctors will say, "I, I am amazed. They are amazed." Mm-hmm. And the renologist came back. She said, "I'm here." She said, "I don't need to be here because she's better." Oh. She said, "But I am amazed." It oh. was one of those moments. Now. Did it cause them to believe? No, you know, See, because but that's, so they that's saw the problem. It, it right, they saw the miracle, right. but it didn't cause them to, exactly. to change their belief. But, but, but you I, had your belief and, strengthened. Yes, I right. and others who saw that from that oh. perspective of faith were able to say, this is absolutely beyond my wildest ability to comprehend. And yet it is clearly the power of the priesthood being exercised right. on my daughter. And isn't it interesting the difference between amazement and stronger belief? Right. And that's and basically what you're saying, Christine. It is so interesting. Well, I have never had the experiences that you had. I'm and glad. you just amazed me. <laughs> but um, when I was on my mission, and I went on my mission to London, I had a real um, like challenge with my faith. And we were at, in London, there is the mission home that's right there on Hyde Square. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been oh, there. Yes. Yeah, I, and, I mean, it's the mission of Hyde Square. Oh, though. wow. <laughs> and so we were in the Hyde Square building, and there was a man that was homeless that had 
um, was not in his right mind that would often wander in and like to be in the building. And we were all at a big, uh, you know, big function, a big multi-zone conference where uh, Marky Peterson was going to come speak to us, one of the apostles. And these young uh, missionaries, this homeless guy came in and they grabbed him by the shoulders and threw him out on the street. And I was furious. Oh. I was fuming. You were because right. I, I am a, glad to hear you were, Christine. I am a, I am a she-bear. And, I am. and I know I know Christine. She is my sister. <laughs> I know what it feels like when she gets furious. I was, furious. <laughs> I was so mad. But the thing that bothered me was here he was coming yes. as if to be healed yes. to the truth. Right. And there's an apostle coming. Oh. An apostle coming. And so I sat there listening the whole time. I'm just, I'm ready to like beat someone. Sorry. And we were just talking about conflict. But anyway, I was so angry. And I went home and I said, this can't be the church if these boys would do this. And they're supposed to have the priesthood and they could heal him and they didn't. And I was so angry. This has a good story. And so I got my triple and I was like, okay, Lord, if you want me to stay on my mission, because I was that angry, then you've got to give me an answer right now. And I flipped open my scriptures. This this is wacky. Ready? Oh, no. I Open it up. And there is this scripture. Require not miracles, except I command you, except casting out devils, healing the sick and poisonous serpents. And these things you shall not do, except it be required of you, by them who desired it, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. There was your answer. He never asked to be healed. He never asked. He didn't do the work. And remember we talked about that pattern? Right. That the first thing you have a true need, he had a true need. But you have to do all in your power to fill it, which you guys did with charity. And then you have to ask. And there's so many people that don't ask. And the only exceptions to asking are healing of the sick and it's illness where, you know, the illness comes and goes. They can't speak. Or what was the other one? Um, Cleansing of the devil. The cleansing of the the devil devil. where, again, they don't have the power to ask. But in a place where you have the power to ask, and he would have had the power to ask, he did not. It was fascinating to me too, and I just, um, I'll be quick, and I know I've already talked too much, but um, in the last two conferences, both in April and in October, the prophet has talked specifically about miracles. About miracles. Yeah, definitely. And it is so cool because the first I'm sorry, one. Why do you talk about this? Because there's something I want to say. Oh, good. Did I say it already? Okay, we'll yeah. see. Okay. So in the last two conferences, the prophet has brought up the concept of miracles both times. Very specifically, um, in April 2022, he talked about the power of spiritual momentum. And in it, he said this, Moroni assures us that God has not ceased to be a God of miracles. Every book of scripture demonstrates how willing the Lord is to intervene in the lives of those who believe in him. In the same way, the Lord will bless you with miracles if you believe in him, nothing doubting. Do the spiritual work to seek miracles. Prayerfully ask God, remember we talked about asking, to help you exercise that kind of faith. And then he ends with, few things will accelerate your spiritual momentum more than realizing the Lord is helping you to move mountains in your life. And so remember he talked about how mountains love you may have different issues. Go ahead. Well, I was really excited that you brought up the miracles and President Nelson's um speaking about miracles and the ad, the, that we should expect miracles. Because I remember when we were talking about it last time, you said you were a little worried, you know, that we would be needing I miracles. Know. But what I, wa- I was thinking of you so much. I was <laughs> at the funeral of a wonderful sister Aww. from our ward, Linda Gallegos. And people from our, this ward, it was, a, it was our, the ward, it was a ward my husband had been bishop of many years ago. People came from the funeral from near and far, all the way from Hawaii, from the East Coast, from the West Coast, from to to Colorado, from Utah, and um, so we were. It was like a wonderful family Mm -hmm. reunion, and we were talking, and as things were winding down, one of the sisters, who I don't see very often but lives closer by, she said, "I was waiting to tell you something. We have had a miracle in our family. You know how President Nelson." was speaking about miracles. We have had a miracle. And of course, I can only think of Christine. Christine, 
miracle. See, <laughs> it's a good thing. And don't yeah. <laughs> don't and, be afraid. And she said her husband, who was very bright, lovely guy, known him for many years, but who had drifted and drifted and drifted away from the church, is now on his own asking for that oh. miracle in his life and coming back into their to that they will be able their their bonds in, that were made in the temple are going to be renewed and restored wow. them. and she was glowing with joy at okay. this miracle i totally repent so, of saying that i, I know but i was thinking <laughs> those about are the kind of so miracles that can happen every you. minute the more of those that happen yeah. the greater well I, I actually was going to like recant because what I said was that miracles will be happening in the coming days. That's not what he said. He said, in the coming days, we will see the greatest manifestations of the Savior's power the world has ever seen. So that is scarier than miracles. So that's what he said in the coming days. But what he said about miracles was a little different. Mm -hmm. And he said, what? We need those manifestations oh, I know. of the Savior's oh, I power know. desperately. But they are a little scary. But, um, but then he said about miracles, he says, as you make continual strengthening of your testimony of Jesus Christ your highest priority, watch for miracles to happen in your life. So it is an outgoing of trying to make your life closer oh, to the that, Savior. Because that's different. Right. And then he says that we should use covenants and that through our prayer and our actions, we show the Lord we're serious and then we ask him to enlighten our mind and send the help we need. And remember, with miracles, you have to ask. Right. And so how many miracles am I asking for? Not that many. And that idea of doing these serious things, and then remember after, before it happens, usually the Lord requires something of you. Mm -hmm. And that's where he said, record your thoughts and follow through and spend more time in the temple. And that's post our asking and prerequisite for the miracle to happen. And then you have to let it change you. And this is what he said. One crucial element of this gathering is preparing a people who are able, ready, and worthy to receive the Lord when he comes again. And so as we have those same miracles, we become more ready because we've asked for them and we've done what it took to have them happen, which is totally different. And of course, the biggest miracle, which is the one that is absolutely fundamental to the world before the Lord will be able to come, is the changing of our hearts. Absolutely. The changing and of the our hearts. the story of Nicodemus, which we're going to be talking about next, you know, that that is the miracle that we're all seeking for. Yes. You know, I mean, should we talk a little about... Definitely. Let's um, talk chapter, about Nicodemus. Chapter three, which is I I know Mariana. We were when we were talking about this. Mariana was in, wanted to do it, and I really understand why. Mm -hmm. And for me, it wasn't everything in it, though. Everything is so magnificent, but it's Nicodemus, who I love so <laughs> much, and I appreciated that Christine understood a little bit, maybe my special relationship to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. Pharisees and Sadducees were different, you know, but they were both um, amongst them were the rulers of Israel, the Jewish rulers of Israel of, who sat on the Sanhedrin, which was kind of like their Congress, you know, mm -hmm. except except that it was a little smaller and they made the laws and people came before them. They didn't have the right to do the death penalty, but they could judge people otherwise on all sorts of matters. And, and people know that your father, was he a congressman or senator? He was, I a, should know. He was a congressman. He was okay. a congressman, and he was a powerful person. Right. Even before he was in Congress, my father just was a powerful person. He'd walk into the room. Right. And, and that's where was, that power and, that you understood from the right. temptations, that's, it's, you really you know, let us understand I, that. I, and and um, as I mentioned to Christine, my father never joined the church in this life, though I've had some wonderful experiences subsequent to his having died and my husband having died, and I feel like they're related. But the openness, I will say what my, I want to say this one thing, I wasn't going to, but <laughs> I love so, it too. Yeah. <laughs> my father became quite ill. He was, he was in Congress. He was the, he was the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee of the United States House of Representatives at the time, and he um, had um, he got esophageal cancer, and he was mm -hmm. um, 
he was still quite stately and strong, and he, but he was not doing well. And I had flown in on Christmas Day to be with him and my mom. And um, we were watching a, he was watching a program when I came in from the airport. Um, it was a debate on C-SPAN book. And it was between an atheist, it was Christopher Hitchens, who has subsequently died. And at the time, this one is a little out of favor with some, but Dinesh D'Souza, who was a very brilliant um, thinker. And he was arguing the, the Christian perspective, and, Dinesh, and um, Hitchens was arguing the atheist perspective. And they were engaged. They were both very smart. But there was one moment where I felt Dinesh D'Souza really got Hitchens. And Hitchens said, I don't need God to make me a good person. Mm. I give to this cause and this cause. And I've started. And, and D'Souza said, you know, all of these wonderful organizations that are created to help others, actually, they have built these organizations on the foundations of organizations that were always, almost always religious at their core. I love it. And I it was such it. a good point. And I, I saw my dad, he was watching, I was like, he knew it was true. Yes. Oh. And so after it was finished, my dad, who was, as I said, not doing well, but still very stately, rose up and and I said, well, that was an interesting debate. I said, they, and he said, yes, they were both very intelligent. And I said, but Didi, you must admit that Sousa had a point. And he said, well, yes. He said, but I do not know. I cannot know whether God really exists. And of course, my father was a Holocaust survivor. Right. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, but I will tell you this. There is nothing I would like more than that what you and your mother believe to be true oh. would be true. Because oh, there is nothing I would like more than to see you all again. Oh. Oh. It was so... And I mean, it was such a it's gift beautiful. to me that my father, who didn't say things like that, that he said that. And I really feel like my father has learned what he has needed to learn and that he has embraced what has been offered to him. I do even feel that my husband, one of the reasons my husband was called from this life was to help be my father's guide. If you've read C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, yes. you know it's a beautiful allegory right. of, of coming to the outskirts of heaven, right. and you, but and somebody help. comes out to guide you, to help you, and you have to accept the guide. And it's usually not somebody you'd expect, you know. I mean, you, you, he, he does a very good job of people being like, what, you, you know. Um, but, and my father, though, I think when my husband came to meet him, he was taken back enough that he decided to follow and see what would happen. And subsequently, I've had some beautiful, very spiritual experiences about that. But well, that's so similar to Nicodemus's And that's experience. why Nicodemus really touches me, this powerful man, leader of the Jewish um, people at that time, who nonetheless, his heart is open and he realizes, even though people are concerned about what's going on and what is this man's authority, he comes and he says... You know, by night, um, Rabbi, he comes, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come for God, from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He knew that. He, there was no doubt in his mind. This wasn't some shin, fake right fake, you know, he understood um, that Jesus snake oil guy, you know, right, this was the right. real thing. And um, this encounter, so really the encounter is so rich that one can only digest it, I feel, over time. But um, this, when, when Jesus responds to Nicodemus, he, ex he goes right to the heart of this, this ordinance. And he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then, and this is, of course, the way rabbis discoursed. They would ask these questions that were kind of impossible, but sprung from a premise. A man must be born again. So Nicodemus 
asks in a very rabbinic style, right. how can a man be born when he is old? And he was older. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. I mean, it's so incredible. Well, and we understand birth. I mean, all of us have, have gone through, uh, I mean, not just our own birth, but the birth of many, many children. And so I, I love the image, you know, having been so understanding of the, the pain, the suffering, the beauty, the joy. I mean, you definitely have well, both sides of that. And I do have to say to, there to may birth. have been some question about reincarnation. Because they bring up, remember when they see John and they say, are you right. Elijah oh, born yes, again? Definitely. And with the Egyptians oh, so, so close, yes. it may He's not have been symbolic. Time. It may have been a real because, question. right, the right. Sadducees didn't understand resurrection. No, so no, what would be born in a different, like he wouldn't have known. So right. it may not the, have been snarky. It may have been. Oh, oh, really, no, it wasn't snarky. Though. I don't right. think I don't think well, Nicodemus well, was that, a snarky type. I know, but I but <laughs> I, I have read it as a teenager thinking, oh, he's doing what I did <laughs> right there. So anyway, but yeah, it was true. That. No, no. But that's very interesting, Christine, this idea of being reborn. Right, especially to, since they keep on but, asking, Are you Isaiah? Are you Elijah? Reborn. You know, but, so right. he but they but still the didn't savior, understand. but the savior tells him that that you, you are going to need to be born again. I love what, Mariana, what you said, because it is also, there's a pain in being born again. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a pain you have to leave. I remember my beautiful sister, when after, I, we to, I've told you the story, I think maybe about Elder Holland fasting with me mm -hmm. and praying that she would gain a testimony and, and agree to be baptized. Because after having gone to this, um, institute class with Elder Holland teaching the Book of Mormon, she said, well, I believe the Book of Mormon is true. It, it was hard to resist his, oh, of <laughs> his of opening his of that every Thursday gay. for us. But she said, but I believe I can believe that and not be baptized. Mm. And I knew, <laughs> and it's interesting because now I think obviously baptism is just the beginning, but right. I knew it was important. She had to be born again. She had to go. She had to humble herself and make that commitment to be born again as a new person. Wow. And, and I will say Elder Holland and Sister Holland, um, who were not, he wasn't Elder Holland then, but prayed with us. And, and a few months later, my sister woke up crying and came out very unhappy. We were home in California, Hillsboro, and she said, I need to be baptized. And she wasn't that thrilled, but I she mean, knew it. And well, it was like the pain. Yes, it's that's what I'm that's is, what I mean. You know, but that joy meant, happens after. That's joy right. Definitely it meant after. leaving parts of herself. They those parts would die because she was being born as a new right. person. That's interesting. Well, and I think that that happens to us over and over, especially if we were um, baptized as a child. Sometimes that yeah. That rebirth hasn't quite happened, or just like we take the sacrament every Sunday and renew our covenants, I can think of multiple times, and I'll say when I had my fifth child, I was done, 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 <laughs> and I went to the temple, and just like your sister, I started sobbing, and I and my friends like Christine, why are you crying? And it was like I have to have another baby because <laughs> I was done. And um, but my last two children are my greatest joy, oh. and so I do think that pain of rebirth, that pain yes. of listening, especially when it's something yes. so far from our hearts, but we know what's right. And not everyone has that calling, but uh. no, it's true. No, it's true. Well, we talked last time about this idea of the wilderness. And it's interesting, I'm, I'm just pointing to verses 14 through 16 and 17, where he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, wow. even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
So we also have this idea, just like you were saying, of the difficulty of birth, the wilderness, but then he's lifted up. And, and that's when we see Christ. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So you have that rebirth, you know, from the wilderness to wow. the earth. How much did Jesus explain to Nicodemus? Exactly. You know? Wow. And the final thing that he explains is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for god sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved so interesting i just read a quote from elder holland and i believe it was elder holland i'll double check and put it in our blog but he said we are asked to love God with all our heart, might, mind, and strength. But first, God loves us with all his might, mind, and strength. And I, I just, it's exactly true. That's why he sent the Savior. That's why the Savior's there. The other thought that came into my mind was uh, this wonderful talk by President Nelson, which he you know, gave a few years ago. You might have remembered it when he talked about how he had read in the topical guide all of the scriptures about the Savior, and I think there's 57, basically, uh, subtitles in this topical guide yeah. of the different, you know, titles of the Savior. Mm -hmm. And he talked about this experience. But along with that, I just wanted to read what President Nelson said. He said, it, um, his son, Jesus Christ, gave his life for us, also that we could have access to godly power power sufficient to deal with the burdens, obstacles, and temptations of our day. When you reach up for the Lord's power in your life with the same intensity that a drowning person has when grasping and gasping for air, power from Jesus Christ will be yours. And I think that's interesting because think of that instead of drowning, think of that as birth. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of of the yeah, birthing process, that. you know, gasping Drowning for air and wow. water. Wow. And yes, when the Savior knows you truly want to reach up to him, when he can feel that the greatest desire of your heart is to draw his power into your life, you will be led by the Holy Ghost to know exactly what you should do. And I, I love that because basically he's saying that we have to, just like we were talking about how painful the birthing process is and how difficult it is, we have to have that same intensity of want and need to reach up to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we do, that power will come to us, which is the power of right. rebirth. And that's where we become a new creature, exactly. like in Messiah. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I... I don't think you're a good example, Mariana, of this because you're a very powerful person with so many gifts and talents. But I think that I that uh, both of you are. <laughs> but but I think that sometimes we are blessed with weaknesses so that we will reach we will be able to reach with more more earnestness and I willingness agree. to to give up. Sometimes when right. everything is when we can figure everything out on our own, we think, we think, we are less prone to throw ourselves at the mercy That's seat. true. And I think that we can see our weaknesses as blessings in yes. that way that, that can bring us to Christ. And that as um, President Benson said, there was a quote, and I loved it so much, I don't, it just, that when we give our lives to God, he will make so much more of them than we could ever yes. make ourselves. And this sure. is so true. And I think that we are blessed sometimes to need him desperately and then to be have our lives and our experiences transformed by his love and his And that's power. where we look at tribulations as a gift. Yep. They become a blessing. Exactly. Absolutely. So let's turn to, to John chapter 4. And as we look at this for, as a woman, I just love this chapter. And that's the reason why I wanted to make sure we got to it and had plenty of time I know. to talk about it. But we were talking about the Samaritans. You were talking a little bit about the way uh, Israel is, is done. We have at the top, we have Galilee and then Judea in the south. And in the middle is the Samaritans. 
And so what would happen is that people, because there was this real racism that was happening here, and in terms of the Jews thinking the Samaritans as being Pure. Well, the Samaritans earned it a little by throwing dead bodies yeah. in the temple. And, you know, there was a little bit well, during that lot temple building. I and agree. All, they were upset. all of these things, there always are excuses. You know <laughs> well, I mean? there's two sides. <laughs> there are sides two to sides story. to every story. And Mount Gerasim was supposed to be the but holy still, place. It was supposed to be the was, holy place. Right. And, and it was the one that Moses first set. So they right. thought they were... I mean, During the time of Joshua. It wasn't right. right. During the, the time the, of Joshua. The prejudice against right. the Samaritans wasn't right. Well, after the Assyrians, of course, conquered Samaria, they resettled the land with foreigners, and then they intermarried. And during this intermarriage time, the Jews, when they came back, were like, oh, you are not a Jew unclean, anymore. Unclean. You're unclean. You <laughs> right. Gone around with these Gentiles, you know. And but so, they wanted to help build the temple with them, and they wouldn't they let, wouldn't them, let them. They wouldn't and let they shouldn't them. have. But anyway, but that's where it, but the problems it, continue. Yeah, it just and, got worse and, and uglier. This time, and exactly. I mean, it was getting uglier and uglier. And then by this time, it was beyond that to the Hatfields and the McCoys. It was oh. a true feud of hatred, wouldn't you say? Mm. Oh, definitely. And so yeah, people would go all the way around, even though it was so much longer. They would go all the way around right. to be able to get from Galilee to Judea. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a long, much longer trip. Well, the Savior is going down, taking that trip, and he has his apostles with him, and he says, nope, we're not going to go around. We're just going to go straight through. And I'm sure that at that point, the apostles are kind of questioning, you know, why is he asking us to do that? And then on top of it, as they're going down, they get to the well, and Jesus tells them to go and find some food. And I'm sure they're hungry. They've been walking all day. But the interesting thing there is, is that the Savior stays behind. He stays there at the well. And you know that he knows what's going to happen next. In that a, a woman comes, and it's a weird time for a woman to come. It's the middle of the day. It's the middle of the day, the, the hot the day. time of the day. And usually the women would come in the early morning to come and draw water. That would last them for the day. Or sometimes they would come in the evening to get water for the next day. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she was coming in the middle of the day kind of showed that she was a little bit of an outcast and that she was Even among the Samaritans. <laughs> Even among the Samaritans. And then we have this really interesting kind of dialogue between the Savior and this this woman where, you know, she's she's startled by the fact that he asks her to draw water because he is obviously a Jew and she is obviously a Samaritan. And she even, you know, makes the comment, you know, you know, why are you doing this? You know, we don't like each other. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, and then he goes on and he starts, he says, sir, he says, well, if you knew, in fact, I'll, I'll just start with, um, I'm going to start with, yeah, I can start with 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And then the woman says, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Out thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well? And drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. And then the woman says, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And I thought how hard it was. I mean, this was hard work mm-hmm. to to bring these jugs of water. I mean, they're heavy. Water is heavy. Very and heavy. It's a long I walk. I know because well. I take it out to my sheep because their hose so is off. And I have like. to drag it out there, you know, into the chickens. And so she, she kind of still doesn't understand. And then the woman answered, said, I have no, you know, then he starts asking her and says, call your husband. And he says, well, I have no husband. 
And Jesus said, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. In that sense, thou truly. Mm. I love that understanding that we are given here because the Savior is going to a woman who is a woman, she's a Samaritan, but she's also a woman that's an outcast of society and that maybe has made some choices in her life that she didn't she's choices. Ma- you, know, you never you know, know and we don't know i mean no. because women at that period of time they truly were subjected to men i mean that that was right. the only way that they could survive and live but i do have to say what i love is her response because if someone were to like show yeah. your dirty underwear out in you know in in public you just right. be, be horrified and you think of peter saying depart right. from me i'm a sinner but she doesn't. She says, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So right away, she doesn't understand about a true savior, but she understands that he is divine, that this comes from God. And you're like, that's a woman I want to hang out with. But you oh. know, she's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's she is like, cool. It's, not, it's <clears throat> at the different end of the spectrum, but like Nicodemus. For both of them, they have sincere hearts, and they know that this is something right? Well, completely different from anything they've I experienced. Agree. I also thought how um, the fact that, that he chose this woman, the fact that she was sensitive to the spirit and understood who this person was, reminds me a lot of a lot of women that I have known in my life, both of you in particular, But also, I loved Sister Porter's talk from last conference where she talked about um, her own experience of the woman at the well. She said, five years ago, my husband, Bruce, became seriously ill when we were serving with the consecrated saints in the Europe East area. We returned home, and he passed away only a few weeks later. My life changed overnight. I was grieving and felt weak and vulnerable, I pled with the Lord to direct my path. What would thou have me do? A few weeks later, I was going through my mail when a small picture in a catalog caught my eye. As I looked closer, I realized it was an artist's rendition of the Samaritan woman with Jesus at the well. At that moment, the Spirit spoke clearly to me. That is what you are supposed to do. A loving Heavenly Father was inviting me to come to the Savior and learn. What a beautiful example Sister Porter is of a woman who during a time of great heartache and heart sacrifice came to the well to learn more of the Savior. And I think we see a similar woman at the well in this Samaritan woman who probably had a lot of heartache. I mean, the fact that she had these Five men, we don't know how she was treated with these five men, but the fact that she had so many of them is not a positive sign, right? And I love what you said, Mariana, that in that age, women didn't have much say over their lives oftentimes. They didn't. You know, in many contexts. So go, yeah, what you're saying is, and that she she came to, and she was learning. She was was listening. She was listening and and not, not being eager to cover up right but rather odd that she had met and so this, open and that, willing this, i think yes this often prophet. we close off her ourselves and don't have that humility but i love the fact that she as soon as she Vulnerable. finds this out what does she do it's not like she keeps it inside right instead no. she she shares she it. before she shares you do have to get the yeah. part oh, where yeah. go on she, go ahead she, and read go ahead well and read. okay i'll start reading but um, because Christ says, um, you worship not what you know. Um, what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Oh, that's what she says, right? Woman? Mm-hmm. No, Christ says that. But the hour cometh and is now when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh us to worship. And then um, the woman says, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And then Christ says, Unto her, right? I am He, and so she's the one that brings up the Messiah and Christ. And we talked before how the Jews thought He would deliver them from the Romans, 
but they don't care as much about the Romans in Samaria. <laughs> and she really thought he would be the religious deliverer. That's who she's looking for. I love that. Which is so unique. And you know there were individuals who understood that. It was just, you know, that at the issue, but but her understanding, the spirit prepared her so that when he says, I am he, she knows who he is. But we get an, another interesting insight in verse 27 in that when the disciples return, this kind of goes with your comment about how men treated women, especially a Samaritan woman, in that here's disciples, there is disciples, the apostles. Oh, yeah, these are good so men. And, and these are good men. <laughs> yeah. And they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? You can just see, they're, they're like just going. like they're. All right, five, why are you doing that? What is that? What's happening here? And, and so I think we do gain that insight mm-hmm. that, even righteous, righteous men yep. were still, you know, having it's that man, question of why. Too, we do the same thing. But, they, but it was good that they didn't say anything. I, oh, mean, I that, give them that. that you know, you kept it inside. They kept it inside. But yes. then the woman, and I love this, she left her water pot. So she was so excited. The whole reason why she came, she left it there. That's such a wonderful oh, detail. I love that, that detail. It's so real. It is. It it's is. So I'm so excited. Real. I just got to run. Yeah. And so she runs to the city and then come and see. I mean, come see. I mean, that goes back to the come and see that right. the Savior said I know. to his apostles. But she says, come see a man uh-huh. which told me all things that ever I did. Yep. Verse 29. Is not this the Christ? I mean, th- her testimony so brilliant and so beautiful and her so brimming with the understanding you know, Nicodemus, uh, cloak of night, he goes and he does stand up for the Savior in different places. But she leaves her pot and goes and, and runs. Says, Come. And, and she knows. Think they're like, if she knows there's a Christ, then I could find out mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And there's no feeling of. And, you know, but how well she was prepared, too. Yes, she was. You know, we say, no, she wasn't following. They weren't following the same practice that the Jews were following at the temple. But they were well-versed yes, in, in the what they the did. spiritual past was and what the spiritual future was supposed to be. And Absolutely. she had internalized she it deeply. Had. She was prepared. She was prepared. She was prepared, she was prepared to hear well, the word. Well, I was right. going to say, I think she's prepared in another way in that she knew all the men. If you were a woman that was, you know, just married and had lots of kids, you wouldn't know any men. You spent your life in your home and you kind of do your own thing. But she would have known all the men in the city. <laughs> so she was prepared in more ways to go than in and let them know. I never thought of that before. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think that's pretty powerful in the very end, the last verse. And uh, many more believed because of the Savior's word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. If you go to Acts 1, verse 8, it's interesting to me when the Savior returns and is talking to the, the disciples, the Lord actually tells his apostles to go back to the Samar- Samaritans, go to Samaria and teach them the gospel. Because now they can be baptized. Now they can be part of the new faith. And so you do wonder, we don't know how many joined with those people in common, but you do hope that she that was some among of those them. That heard, I, I, know, I imagine I know. she was. I imagine I she, hope was she was as well. Too. Oh, I, it's I, one I, of those I, questions. She had on the other side. Powerful experience. I know, and know. we all love her and revere her. Think how yeah. many things. You know, turn yes. to her. I think that from the other side, she whispers oh, because I we agree. turn her direction. Now, we do have an interesting part in this back and forth about this whole question of God is a spirit. Right. And so, um, and I skipped that verse intentionally when I was going there because I, I was trying to make another. That. And it's verse that. 24. So when he talks about um, worshiping in spirit and in truth, in verse 23, Christ is talking to her about worshiping. And then he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I love the next sentence. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Right. Who worship in spirit and in truth. Right. That's so beautiful. And so it really is beautiful about in 
was seeking in spirit and in truth, which is like heart, spirit, and mind. Yes. Like truth. There have to be both together. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful concept. But that line, God is a spirit, is often taken out of context. Right. And um, I may have been a Bible basher at some point in my high school years. We won't talk about it. But this was the one they'd always pull out. And your answer to is God a spirit, what is truly his nature, goes again to the Joseph Smith translation down below. And we believe that what should have been written was for unto such God promised his spirit, and they who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so that this is a slight misinterpretation. Right. And oh, and I have been touched, and I wanted to talk about, as we have done this podcast, we have gotten a lot of comments. And I have appreciated many of the comments, except for the ones from my own children who tell me I have to sit up straighter <laughs> and that I should say my name more slowly and regally because I sound like a child. And so <laughs> I don't see the comments because I don't know how to use the internet properly. Oh, we'll get you there. But yes, but, and my children tell me don't use all your names. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but one of the comments that was made was that um, we, in essence, worship a different Christ or, or that the nature of what we believe of God and Jesus is different, even though we both worship the Bible. And worship the Bible. Please. Worship the Bible. Sorry, I said that, didn't I? You know what I said. I'm sorry. Worship the, no, thank you. Worship, worship Christ, worship the same, the right, Jesus that was born in Bethlehem, the same Jesus that died on the cross for all of us. And we truly believe that it's through his grace and his atonement that we are saved. And we believe those same places. We do have differences in what we believe, and we appreciate those. But, um, and I'm not going to, I, if you want to go through those, I will put them later in the blog, but we, we do believe that those three members of the Godhead, that God the Father, that is the Father, that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and that the Holy Ghost comes and speaks the words of Christ into our heart. And so we believe that nature, but that they all act together. As one. As, one. As one. But that they are three separate and distinct individuals. And we have scriptures that talk and, about that. And I would go even further to say that we believe there is one God that is worshipped by people who love God. I Absolutely. mean, there is, we believe that. And we believe that, that there, and, and I think that it is very important for us to say we aren't, there are no fences here. Exactly. That, that the Lord wants us to come to him. And he has many ways that right. he provides for his children to come to him. Absolutely. Because he loves all his children. And every prayer to God, no matter how we assume God is, there's only one God in heaven. And he's listening to them. And he answers all the pure in heart, That's whatever ever their belief of God. And I loved in this last conference when Elder Oak spoke. And he oh, talked he about so the so great, good. and you were talking about that with your father, the, mm -hmm. the many people that have given so much to the poor and the distressed of many, many faiths, and how the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have worked with many of these organizations in tandem. And he says the following, and this is from Elder Oaks in October 2020, Helping the Poor and Distressed. 2022. Oh, sorry. I lied. 2020. I, I have to correct you because <laughs> it was you. such a great talk. It was, it was a great, great talk. talk. We'll and put he said, a link on it. Okay. A link to it. Modern <laughs> revelation teaches that our Savior Jesus Christ is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. By this, all the children of God are enlightened to serve him and one another to the best of their knowledge and ability. The Book of Mormon teaches that everything which inviteth and entices to do good and to love God and to serve him is inspired of God. So we really do believe that all of that goodness is inspired of God, of the same God we worship, and that Christ is the Christ of the entire world. And that as we move forward, it's just that love and that goodness that and, counts. And this worshiping in spirit and in truth, I love that. I, I'm going to share a quick look story about this because it's so apropos. One of my daughters married a wonderful man who came from a Hindu culture. And at there is a 
ceremony before the wedding, and um, it was very beautiful, and there were many things that I recognized. It's sort of an anointing ceremony, but they do it with, with yellow salt, saffron, saffron, I think. Oh, sure. Um, I think. Um, and one of, one of my son-in-law's cousins came to me, and she said, you know, I know that you're very faithful in your faith, and many people think that Hinduism is polytheistic. She said, it really isn't. We believe in one God, but we believe, and this was, this opened my mind in a big way. We believe that God is so great and so much that we are not quite capable of fully grasping. So we have all these other personages that manifest some aspects of who God is so that we can begin in our human way to understand his greatness. It opened up my own little vision, you know, because it's true. We do love our Heavenly Father. We do try to project him into being just our wonderful grandfather, you know, up there. But he has to be more. He's much more. Much more. Much more. more. And I thought that was such a beautiful gift to give me that insight from but I do believe there's there's truth in everything that leads to do good is of God. And so we I do agree. respect that. And we share far more in common. But um, And so hopefully you'll continue <laughs> to, to follow us because we'll see the things that we share and the things that we may differ on. And and I think that there's value and beauty in in as we study together at the scriptures. I agree. So I do also want to apologize because last week I made reference to something that's actually in our reading this time, (laughs) and that is the purifying of the temple, and that's found in John 2. So if we go back to John 2, and I did want to just, because, um, you know, this is such a powerful visual when we think of 2, 13 through 17. So the Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found the temple. Um, It was not a clean and pure place. Instead of there was selling of oxen, sheep, doves, and the changers of money um, sitting. I I think about that, too. I think of all the animals, all the animals that were there at the temple. And if you've been around, I know a lot of animals, they're smelly. You know, they're really smelly smelly. (laughs) and dirty. Well, but it was necessary to have them there, but they shouldn't have been in that temple temple. area, especially it was probably the porch of the Gentiles. And that was an important place for people that were coming to learn about the church. It's kind of like the mission home. And so to have the mission home be full of boxes and well, and <laughs> well, selling. My feeling, was, right. my selling. feeling and, is and that the selling is as, naughty. Though I know that animals do have their downside. I have a lot of them. Oh. Um, I don't think it was the animals themselves that were no. offensive to the, the Lord. People. It, it was, was the <laughs> merchandising. <laughs> it was the it was the making buying and selling and right. the and the making the Lord's house a place where people were there to get gain. Yeah. And I think that right. was it. it and they be, were making profit. I, I was Maybe thinking, if they were selling it for And it may not have been amount. honest. Right. Yeah. right. Well, because uh, with the know, money exchanges, they may not have been exactly there, well, and Well, lots of reasons. <laughs> I mean, if they were really virtuously just, you know, um, I sort of think, well, you know, I mean, sometimes when we go to the temple, there are things we need and we might. But there is no question that nobody's, it's not a money-making money thing. thing. And this was more of a bargaining and, you know, mm-hmm. and it felt so wrong. And the Savior felt that. Well, and then we see what the Savior does because of this. He said, and and I love the fact that he does it very intentionally. It's not anger in terms of he's not like, okay, I'm going to go out of anger. Instead, right, not like the people on, in Nazareth that are so filled with anger. Right, he's right, not, and said... And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen poured out of the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house 
and house of merchandise. See, you said merchandise. And that is exactly oh. what you said. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? It's very interesting. You know, I mean, they accept it. They, I mean, nobody's like, hey, leave right. him alone. Right. He, his authority must have been, it the reminds power. me of, you know, in, in an earthly way, my dad had that kind of authority. He'd come oh. and do these crazy things. And people were like, okay, who are you exactly? <laughs> but as he was doing it, he quoted scripture. Yes. He said, oh. the zeal of thine health. How did you say that? Was how, how, um, Psalm 69. Like yeah, you have to say those two words yes. together. Have eaten me up. The disciples remembered right. that. Right. No, oh, they remembered it. The oh, disciples I remembered the that. Disciples the disciples saw it remember and remembered that scripture. Yes. Uh, see, that's what okay, happened. See? That is so yeah. And then Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, they're like, What are you talking about? This temple? This is this temple that took 46 years to build, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. And and I love that precursor of teaching people of the resurrection through this whole act of purifying the temple, right. which is so powerful. This idea of the spirit and the temple, the physical temple, but also our physical bodies as a temple and the spirit as well. And it is interesting because it says the disciples in 22 didn't get it till after he was risen no, from the dead. after he was resurrected. And then they remembered it and they put one and one together and got and they two. they went, oh, now I understand what the Savior was saying. Right. And that's okay. Like we can hear things and we can wait Oh, until the so time, many and things. then everything goes in. So many things. Right. I mean, they were we, like, ah, I line get it. upon line, I precept upon precept. I you know, here a little, there a little. So we, we do need to be patient when we have things we don't understand, because they will be made clear in their pa time. Patient and keep our hearts sincere and open, and not mm -hmm. close them off. To so I wanted to end with um, President Nelson's thoughts on focusing on the temple where he said, I promise that increased time in the temple will bless your life in ways nothing else can. Mm. So I wanted to just leave it open. How has the temple blessed your lives? Well, I'll talk about how lack of the temple has unblessed my life. Oh, okay. <laughs> because, no, you know, with COVID, you had to, like, where we live in it Rexburg. You're right. It was really it was hard really because hard. you would, the minute, the new month came and you could make an appointment, they'd be full. Yeah. And so you got out of the habit of going every month. And it should be every week because I'm right, right there next to it right. and I'm not working like I used to be. But um, but it is interesting because uh, a couple weeks ago, a temple worker in our ward said how seldom the sessions were full. And I realized I'm only going like every other week. So because of everything that's happened and with this you get out the last habit, talk, right? I have I have like increased my game. So I'm really making an effort to go once with Greg a week and then I'm trying to go once on my own so that I go consistently because I'm right there and it's it's available. So it's it's hard because I do think it's appropriate that he's encouraged us. It's easy to get out of the habit. So if it's close, but you know, I've never lived less than three or four hours away from a temple in my life until I moved to Rexburg. And now it's just right there. And the minute we moved, it was shut down. And you were just like, what? Oh. So so I haven't had the opportunity that I have now. And so I really, that is one thing that this year is my first year that I'm really going to focus on temple attendance. Well, you know, for me, the temple, I can't help but go back to the first time I went to the temple which my late husband and I eloped to the temple, oh, which is such a counterintuitive so thing. You know, most uh, there are many Latter-day Saint young people who get married in the temple, maybe without even understanding exactly what they're doing. But we, we had both joined the church in sort of Babylon, you know, <laughs> going to school at Yale University. Mm. But, um, and I, I want to say that when I was an undergraduate, they built the temple in, in Washington, D.C. Right, mm -hmm. right. And um, we went down with a group. I was 
course, it was all very interesting to me, but I didn't necessarily understand it, though I had been invited by friends in California where I grew up to go and see the Oakland Temple before it was dedicated, oh, and I never forgot that. Yeah. So I think it it's important to know how it impacts somebody who it was, it was there, it was not something I understood, but the experience was profound, and I remembered it. I remembered it. So we were we were students, and a, a, there weren't very many LDS students at Yale when I was there, but Elder Holland was one of them who's getting his sure. PhD. They organized a trip for us to go down and just to be outside the temple, because mm. most of us couldn't go in, to see... When President Kimball walked into oh. the temple, oh, I'll God. never forget it. I, for me, it was a little bit like one of my friends, who was also a member of the church, lived. Uh, you know, he had a brother who lived right near the the um, parade of roses. You know, when they had the yes, rose bowl yes, parade, sure, sure. and they their family had a little um, tradition that you would sleep on the. Sidewalk yes, no. to no. be there. We did oh, we that. Lived in, we had we lived in Pasadena. Bags. We, oh, you lived in Pasadena. Oh, so you know that one. Growing up. And in well, San Marino. And yeah. it was so a right, lot of excitement right about it, you know. And well, for me, this whole thing was a little bit like that. But I will tell you to this day that thrill and the feeling of holiness oh. of seeing this prophet walk into the temple, so which amazing. we did. Um, was so extraordinary. And and so, you know, I knew by that time, by the time I met my husband, that this was the most important thing to me, that when I would marry, if I would marry, it would be there to yeah. someone for time and all eternity. And I was fortunate to that my husband agreed that that was important. And we we had to plan all by ourselves, you know. We took lessons. Mm-hmm. One of some very kind person um, who was the institute teacher, who wasn't someone who lived in New Haven, he came from someplace else, came down to give us special lessons to prepare us oh, wow. to go to the temple, which, you know, in retrospect, I just appreciate how kind it was to go mm-hmm. this extra mile. And then there was a lot of craziness around it, including <laughs> our sure. car breaking down, including oh. it was wild. Yeah. Well, but but it was it was an incomparable beginning to a life together. And now that I have that life without my husband, I am so inexpressibly grateful for the firm conviction I have that we have been married for time and eternity. Well, that is a beautiful way to end our discussion today, especially as we think and ponder upon those eternal covenants that we gain in the temple, but also the purity that it brings into our home and into our lives as we make the temple, even just as the prophet has asked us to make it a a bigger part of our lives than it's ever been before. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being with us today.